Hey everybody, welcome back to The Negotiation. And on today's show, we have my good friend, Matthew Brennan on the show. Now, first of all, Matthew is the co-founder and managing director of China Channel, a company that provides digital marketing services for brands wishing to perform better on WeChat and in China's digital ecosystem. They are also the organizers running China's largest WeChat marketing conference series for international companies. Matthew also has a new book, it's amazing. He is the author of Attention Factory, the story of of TikTok and China's ByteDance, which, as many of you know, has been the subject of a ton of news and political posturing, etc., as it has absolutely taken the world by storm, and you simply cannot be on social media these days without running into a TikTok short-form video, even if you're not using the app. It's an incredible story driven by an incredible company, and we are thrilled to have Matthew on the show to narrate us through all of it. In part one of our discussion today, we are not only going to get some amazing background on where ByteDance, Toutiao, TikTok came from, but where they sit in the great tech puzzle of China and the secrets behind its unique algorithm that put YouTube's stickiness to shame. Enjoy. Due to the user experience, the way it works, every piece of content, you must give them some indication of whether you like it or not. Even by doing nothing, that is a strong indicator that you actually like the content. Because if you didn't like the content, all you need to do is swipe up. Even the sort of indication of how much power you put into swiping up, right? Whether you swipe up slowly or if it's a quick swipe or whether it's a long swipe, all of that is actually very useful for them. They can analyze pretty much everything you do. Uh, if you're searching the comments, likes, uh, every, every, every action you make is enriching your user profile. Every action you make is telling them more about you. And due to the, the way that short video works, you know, these are 15 second videos, 30 second videos. So within a 60 second period, you might be giving them four or five different pieces of information for them to know more about you. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technology. Matthew, thanks for coming on the show today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Todd. Great to be on the show. So let's just go back and talk a little bit about, as we usually do with a lot of our guests, how did you end up in China? Came to China in 2003, I think. Oh, wow. 2004, around that time straight out of university. So uh, I studied economics in, in, in Southampton and I, I'm from London in, in the UK. So the obvious thing for me to do was to go work in the city, in a bank or something like that. But with a friend of mine, we decided, you know, we would just want to take a year out and do something different. We almost went to Poland <laughs> to teach English, but ended up in China. The economist in me said, you know, the, uh, 
And we worked out the wage, the purchasing power parity of the wage was was really good. So basically, back in that back in that China, which is gone now, that that China is totally you know, doesn't exist anymore. But um, everything was very very cheap. Uh, the wages were very low, but you could buy a lot with it. And the first place we went to was Dalian, which is a city that uh, I believe you know well. Also, Todd, uh, up in the up in Dongbei, up in the northeast. Yeah, that's Kong, where I the started. Hong Kong of the northeast. Yeah, yep. that's. Uh, we were out in Jinzhou, which is uh, like a sort of suburb place, and it was pretty. It was pretty, uh, you know, hardcore actually in terms of we just got dropped into it. There's there's no foreigners around there. Um, not much, not much to do actually at that time. Not much entertainment options, but it was really good for learning Chinese. Really good for getting involved in the in the culture. So I I stayed to learn Chinese after that year, and then I stayed for to do some entrepreneurial stuff. I just found that China was booming, and at that time there was a real energy around the place. I mean, there still is, but back then you really did feel that you know why would I even going back to London? I felt it was. So boring and slow compared to to China, where everyone was starting new businesses. There was construction everywhere, and there was just this energy and positivity with people about you know the future being better than today. So um, we went to we franchised a school chain with a couple of friends, and I went out to places like Inner Mongolia, where I spent two years uh, opening and managing a, a couple of uh, education centers there. And also Sichuan Province,、uh, where the pandas are from. That's where I met, where I met my wife.、Um, Not a panda. Yeah, those two things are unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> But after that, that was that was that was. Good. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stories there because I lived for a year in the property ghost town of Arados、uh, again, like where there's no foreigners,、um, and that was lo- lots of stories there that I don't have time to go into, but. Eventually, that school chain invited me to the head office、uh, to do、uh, brand management, and I ended up specialising in. At the time, we called e-learning. Today, you would call it edtech,、uh, but I, I basically worked on the on the first big e-learning project for that company, and we rolled it out for a hundred schools across China, and we we built that、uh, all of that software,、uh, and then back then it was done on CDs. You know, this is this is like、uh, in 2010, 2011 when we we're doing this, and、uh, it was、uh, you know not, nothing like today. It was really tough to sell software to Chinese back、uh, parents back then. They saw no value in this. They just saw it as an upsell and a way to take more money from them, basically.、Uh, So it was it was really tough, but we did it, and、uh, you know today they, they, that's a, an important part of their of their course offering.、Um, so it was a success, and then I specialized in that. I did research and development for that company for about five years in Chongqing, running a team of you know designers, artists,、uh, flash、uh, people, and and all, you know all, all writers, etc. And and we were just producing content and software. And then around 2015 was when WeChat really took off. And、uh, I could just see WeChat Pay. I, you know, the first time I used WeChat Pay in a store to buy a sandwich, I was blown away. And I thought this is really going to change China. And I started blogging about it and learning everything I could about it. And then I got into、uh, WeChat marketing and on and WeChat in so WeChat ecosystem in general.、Uh, and I quit my job and started my own company, which today is is China Channel, based out of registered in Shanghai.、Um, 
and that that was that was a pretty you know a big thing at the time. Uh, looking back, I, I really just went into this out of out of being inspired by by this really big change I felt in Chinese society. But looking back, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, you know, we we did several things from that. You know, obviously we went into like consulting and things like that. We did this, uh, you know, China Chat, which is the the this conference that was a very popular. A lot of people know myself and and China Channel from that. Uh, China Accelerator sponsored that for many years, also. Uh, and then I got into you know, but through the blogging was I was one of the first people to write about uh, WeChat in English. Basically, at the time there was zero content really about it online. Uh, not like today, where there's so many people writing about China tech. Um, but yeah, that stayed with me. And, and uh, recently, with, uh, with with COVID and everything, I, I I had finally the time to really sit down and write something long, which I've, I've been trying to do about ten cent for a long time. And now, ByteDance, which is the uh, the competitor to Tencent, is how I started to get into them. They're a fantastic company. The more I learned about them, the more I became intrigued about them. And I've got several people, close friends who, who work for them. I have done for several years and, and rave about the company. And of course, their products I've been using for many years. And, you know, through the through being on the ground in China and through through the conference and all the contacts I have, it was very clear that, you know, Douyin in particular was really having a huge impact on on. China's marketing and society in general. So, you know, I, this is all before the stuff that happened with TikTok. You know, <laughs> like this, yeah, exactly. This, you know, this is not all pre-TikTok stuff. Uh, there was already so much to to write about and and to learn here. Um, and then well, I started writing the book and. I, I had no idea that, you know, Donald Trump would get involved or <laughs> that, um, you know, India would ban the app completely and all of this dramatic stuff would happen. Uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride in terms of the media coverage, uh, but it seems to be good timing and the reception so far for the, for the book we've got out now is, has been excellent. And uh, a lot of ByteDance staff have read it now and, and they've been reaching out to me on, on a daily basis. Uh, people saying, you know, this is accurate and, and, and good. And I can't believe uh, a non-Chinese wrote this and, and stuff like yeah. that. So, being accurate is probably the, the, you know, the one of the best praises that one can sing about when you write in, about something in China, because, as you right. know, it can be right. so difficult to really get it right and understand and and get some facts and be able to kind of analyze the facts and then kind of extrapolate off of what you do get because there isn't a lot that you do get so you do have to wisely um and i think from experience being in china be able to extrapolate to kind of get to those answers and then to, to come full circle and hear that you're right that must be quite satisfying yeah, I was, you know, obviously nervous putting out the book. You, you, you don't really know what the reception is going to be. You have some early readers, but they're friends and people you know that they'll tell you nice things. But yeah, it was it was really, you know, a relief to hear from high level management. Some people reached out. I was really quite surprised, uh, and also from frontline staff uh, saying, you know, all, all saying like 
fairly positive things. Now, the book isn't endorsed by ByteDance, and we make that really clear um, at the beginning. Um, that was not the goal here to write a sort of PR piece or something mm. that was friendly, you know, because most of the, to be honest, most of the books um, that, you know, would cover a company like this, a Chinese tech company, are kind of either endorsed or semi-endorsed by the companies is, is, is the most typical situation. And that's fine. Uh, I think those books have their place, but uh, th- this is more sort of, yeah, we want to be accurate and give the real picture. So it's the good and the bad. You also podcast. So you're writing books, you're podcasting, you have China Channel. How much of an influence plays a part in the things that you write or the things that you say, knowing that you are in a rather censorship laden society? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a good question. I think there's a lot of people who believe that you can't write accurately about China if you're in China. I mean, we're in a world of people creating content, right? There's just everybody's enabled. And and that's really what TikTok and Douyin and, and so many, so many of these new platforms are enabling everybody to be content creators. However, mm. what is that like for a content creator in China, though, when you feel like you're maybe you you maybe have some 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 walls around what you're able to do that are a little closer than maybe other people in other parts of the world might have. Writing this kind of content is really not a big deal because I'm not focusing on anything that would be falling into those categories of like sensitive, let's say. Right. The books really just folk. We're, we're really just asking I make it clear up front, right? If you're going to re- pick up this book thinking this is going to be lots of stuff about Donald Trump, you're going to be very disappointed. Uh, we're not talking about geopolitical tech rivalries in this book. That's not why I wrote it. It's not what I'm interested in. Um, I'm interested in why ByteDance, why TikTok, uh, why are we even talking about these in the first place? Why are they so compelling? You know, why is TikTok so addictive? And you know, the, I find these questions, this is far more interesting to me because I'm trying to explore. I, I do believe that short video is a, uh, you know, a very important trend for Internet usage globally. It's, it's not just a China thing. It's a global, you know, this is a, a new way that people are using Internet and it's not going away. And in most parts of the world, uh, it's still in very early stages uh, people are really discovering only in the last uh, 12 months the possibilities of what's, you know, what's possible with TikTok. And it's going absolutely in the same direction as YouTube, where you will find pretty much any type of content for any category uh, and, and all demographics, all age groups using TikTok is where it's going. But I think still today, most people don't realize that. And the implications of that are pretty are pretty big. That's right. And I mean, not to groom our own feathers, but that's why people like you yourself and myself are out here doing the type of podcasting and the companies and the shows and the books um, to try to almost alert the rest of the world to you have to realize what shapes your world. And then you have to realize where that comes from. And it's funny that you mentioned that if uh, if you were, you know, like similar to YouTube, if you want to go, you can find anything you want. Um, but the funny thing about Douyin and TikTok is that I don't think you find it. I think it finds you. 
And that's part of the magic of what makes them so successful. So let's dive into that for a second. And you know that we're going to dive into all the details. So you don't have to go there just yet. But introduce ByteDance as a company beyond just the TikTok app that everybody knows in the West. Well, ByteDance is eight years old now, I think. Uh, yeah, 2012. Uh, and Beijing company and founded by Zhang Yiming, uh, who is today uh, arguably one of the most, well, not arguably, he is one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. Um, but in such low profile compared to where he probably should be, because in many respects, the founder of this company, the guy who kicked it all off, is, I believe, you know, kind of the anti-Jack Ma. He's the complete opposite of... So what you think of when you think of Jack, like a great orator, a showman, uh, someone who's got excellent English skills and loves talking to the camera and always saying the right things, uh, loves PR, um, finds a lot of value in sort of revving up the troops with rousing speeches, etc. cetera. Uh, this guy is a typical engineer. Um, Zhang Yiming is a, is a geek. Uh, he is quiet. He is, to be honest, a poor public speaker, um, but he's very, very thoughtful. And obviously, you know, his results speak for themselves, I, I believe, uh, in terms of where the company is today. Uh, but, yeah, he is not the typical startup founder in China at all. And so that's actually why this company in the early days, one of the key reasons why it really struggled to get investors, there's some great stories we got in the book about how, uh, you know, um, the early uh, investment stories around bike dance and how they struggled to get money uh, is because so many VCs looked at Eming and saw, quite frankly, you know, some of them described him as a little boy. I'm like, I'm not going to invest in this child, is what one of them said uh, at the time. Uh, he's really, you know, uh, not this a very atypical, you know, what you expect in China. They love the sort of uh, entrepreneurs who go out and are, you know, like gladiators is how they describe them, right? Because in the China market, the competition is so fierce that you need to have that gladiator mentality just to survive. And we look at people like Wang Xing, right, the CEO of Meituan. Uh, he's well known to be like that, right, where his, uh, the, the, the group on wars, the thousand group on wars that Meituan had to fight through just to survive so you can get their footing the door to, to, to do what they've done today. Um, all of these, these types of stories are what, what BCs look for in, in, in founders, uh, same thing for DD, I believe, as well. Like when, when that kicked off with ride sharing, they, they really had to fight their way through in the early years. Whereas uh, this company, they started from news aggregation. There's no direct equivalent for their original flagship app, Totiao. So Totiao is a household name in China. Everybody knows Totiao, but it's virtually unknown outside China. And the, really the best way to describe it is like the Facebook newsfeed, but without any of the friends. That's where they started from, really, was from Totiao. And the reason why they were able to great success on that, one of the key reasons is that the founder Eming uh, was really very clear about what he saw as a, as a huge opportunity, which was basically two opportunities. One was mobile itself, which I think a lot of people saw. And they they did they did get in at the early days of mobile in China. Like the, it's hard to it's hard to really 
for people outside China in the West, especially to really understand how mobile was such a game changer in in places like China, but not just China, places like India, Southeast Asia, which really skipped the Web 1.0, Web 2.0 eras and just went straight to mobile. And especially in a place like China, where the offline entertainment options were so bad and the offline media options, things like television, radio, newspapers, which were all state controlled, uh, well, you know, in terms of entertainment, pretty poor options. Uh, when the internet comes along, uh, firstly through internet bars, which is basically how up until 2010, 2011, that was pretty much for the average working class, the average normal Chinese, if they were going to go online, it would probably be on an internet bar. Yeah, um, the internet uh, cafes. Yeah. Yeah, the internet cafes, which were huge back in the day when I first mm-hmm. arrived to China. You know, that's how people got online was you went down to an internet ca- uh, cafe or an internet bar. Likewise. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the whole, uh, that's fascinating, that thing. It was, you know, 2007, wandering inside of a, a internet cafe and just the gaming, the gaming that was going on. That's what everybody was doing then. Right. I mean, that, that was, that was the China internet scene up until, up until mobile. That was, uh, yeah, internet cafes. You'd go there. Everyone's on QQ or you hear, you know, <laughs> these, these sounds, right? If you, anyone who's yeah. been there will remember those sounds and, uh, yeah, people playing games, right? That, that's basically what they, what they did there. That's why e-commerce was so, you know, was really was, was quite low because the only people really using e-commerce would be those with home computers, um, which were relatively few outside of the very large cities of Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, etc. cetera. Uh, so mobile was just this huge wave. It just went from that into everybody accessing the internet all the time. Uh, and so it really just transformed society on a, to, to a, an amazing level, um, far, far greater effect than, than in, you know, the UK where I'm from, where at that time, you know, lots of people, internet penetration rate is very high. Lots of people have laptops and desktops at home or for work or at university, et cetera. So yes, mobile is still a game changer, but it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's, a it's taking it up one step. Whereas from China, for most people, you're really going from zero to one. It's, it's a complete transformation yeah. in terms of information access and internet services. Well, it, it is the internet. Mobile is the internet for so many internet users in China. They've never known anything else. They're probably not going to ever know anything else. And so that is their entire world when it comes to the internet. There's one like small example I can give for like TikTok to bring bring it home with a, a sort of anecdote here that in China uh, TikTok is you know local versions Douyin. There is no web version of Douyin. It's only an app, right? There's there's absolutely no way to access it through uh, typing in a web address. Uh, you have to download the app. And because China is all about mobile, it's an app economy. Everything everything is accessed through some type of app, whether that's a super app like WeChat um, or, you know, an app uh, for a, a banking service or whatever. Uh, people really don't tend to use browsers that much. Browser usage is very low in China. And therefore, when I spoke to my friend at ByteDance and he said, oh, yeah, you know, what are you working on? He said, oh, yeah, we're just doing the web version of TikTok. I was like, 
wow, I was totally blown away by this. I was like, holy shit, like that today you can actually go to tiktok.com and you can, you can access TikTok through a, through a, through a browser uh, on your phone. I was like, why did they never build this in China? Like, and this is my first time seeing it. Um, and it's like, well, nobody uses browsers. <laughs> like there's no, there's no, there's no, everyone's on the phone. There's no, there's no need for a desktop version or a web version of, of the service. The, the usage rate's far too low. So it just speaks to the fundamental difference in usage habits between the West and China, where everything is so app centric. It's really an, totally. a, a, an app economy. With regards to ByteDance, let's herd the cats here for a second and put it in perspective. Where does it fall in the Chinese tech ecosystem kind of map? How big are they? How profitable are they? Who is their user base? That kind of stuff. Where do they fall amongst all the big other tech giants that are there? Let's say there's three stages. Uh, In the early days, when they start off 2012, they're nobodies. By the time TikTok Sorry, by the time Totiao rather becomes a you know a, a big hit and breaks out, they've sort of by 2015, 16, they've risen to the level of what we call TMD, uh, Totiao Meituan DD, which was this term that media started to use to describe these three companies, these three up and coming new kids on the block, let's say, um, who are rising up pretty fast and may one day challenge the traditional BAT. You know, the traditional market leaders. So for many years, they were sort of grouped together with Meituan, grouped together with DD as the sort of uh, mid-level tier sort of rising stars. Today, I think ByteDance has become the new B in the BATs. It's replaced by Do in this sort of three kingdoms type uh, outlay, you know, we return to a free kingdoms style setup in China around internet services. Uh, to be honest, for the past five years, we've been in a sort of place where it's it's been Tencent and Alibaba, Tencent and Alibaba for everything. Um, now, it used to be that Baidu was in the mix. You know, Baidu actually. Uh, by 2011, was the biggest company. It was by market cap the largest, it exceeded 10 cents. So it's quite actually amazing to think about that, that there's been in such a short period of time, uh, such a change there. Because if you went back 10 years, everybody feared Baidu. Today, Baidu is a sort of mid-level company that is not really feared by that many people now. Um, Lots of people fear ByteDance, however, because ByteDance is growing and growing and growing. It's it's the fastest growing of all the giants in, in China. And it's really got the potential with TikTok to reach a sort of Facebook level valuation one day, I believe. Um, it's quite far away from that right now, but you know, not that far away. Uh, we're looking at sort of valuations in a sort of $150 billion uh, range, I think, right now. And there's, there's been, it's not public yet, right? but there's been rumors for many years that they will go public. Uh, personally, I think it will go public next year in some form, some part of it. And it's quite clear that TikTok will have to be broken out somehow from the Chinese entity uh, if it's going to remain in North America, which, of course, for them is, is, is a very big deal. That's, it's an advertisement business. That's how they predominantly make their money. And so the parallel with Facebook is actually quite a useful paradigm to think about how they monetize. 
And there's a lot of similarities there. And if you look at Facebook's numbers, which are, you know, as a public company, are much more transparent, uh, the North American market is the lucrative one for uh, for advertisement services for for TikTok. So it's absolutely critical that they stay in North America. Um, and if they do, you know, this TikTok, I think it's not there today, but I think it can exceed Instagram as being the the hot app. You know, the one where most time is spent. And, and and most attention is focused on, and then the implications the implications of that for the advertisement business are, are pretty big because that means uh, ByteDance has the potential to actually be a viable option to the Facebook and Google duopoly around online advertisement globally. What's interesting to me, even amongst everything you said, is that you also did not utter names like Xiaohongshu or Huawei or Xiaomi, other ones that are just, it kind of goes to show almost how far in front Alibaba and Tencent really are in the conversation when you have other such huge companies that don't even enter the conversation. I mean, there's so many companies these days, right? (laughs) There is. That's and that's Ping Do Duo, right? PDD is right there too. Sure. Yeah, I think PDD is of the scale now. Like I, I, I was only really covering. I think when you're talking about um, ByteDance now, you know, you really are only looking at companies with a hundred billion dollar valuations and above. If you're, you know, because that's where they are today, roughly in that park. But they're growing so fast still. You just look at the size of their staff. They're, this year, they've said they're on course by the end of this year to have 100,000 staff. Wow. That's a lot. That puts them on a sort of Facebook. That puts them above Facebook in terms, in terms of hiring people, and it puts them above Tencent in terms of hiring people as well. So you can see the ambition of this company. And when you look at where the sort of hockey stick of growth is, is going and, and the numbers yeah. coming out in, again, it's not public. So a lot of these numbers, you do get conflicting numbers still, but it's quite, like I say, it's quite clearly going in a Facebook direction. What is it about TikTok that makes it so unique and just so sticky? I mean, you, you, you met, you already mentioned that you think it might take over uh, Instagram. It almost already seemingly is because people are posting their TikToks to Instagram. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, the unique and stickiness. Uh, where's it come from? Is it the algorithm? Is it something else? In terms of stickiness, definitely it's the, it's the back ends that, you know, it's the algorithms that are, that are doing that. There's been a lot of focus on that. And it is interesting for sure. And we talk about that. Uh, but up front, I just want to put it that I think people are over-indexing on that aspect of this company and how that's, that's the only thing that's driving this. Actually, when we looked at them and did the research for the book extensively and spoke to people who really, really knew who I really respected their opinions and, and, and VCs and, and industry people who've been there for a long time, they, they, they were kept saying, you know, actually the secret to this company is growth hacking, not, not AI, not the algorithms. And actually I believe it both are equally important. So maybe we can talk about that later on, what they do with growth hacking, but um, with the stickiness, uh, it's, it's definitely the, the technology aspects that's doing that. And so ByteDance you know, has best-in-class technology, right? The recommendation algorithms, the recommendation engine behind TikTok is amazing. And it's, and it's the best in China. And it's up there with anything from Google um, or anything from Facebook uh, or any other, or Microsoft or wherever, any of the Silicon Valley giants. And that's because ByteDance hired a lot of 
top top level engineers, and it's one of hiring, you know, poaching them from all of the best companies in China, including Baidu. Baidu was the one they they took most people from. They actually had a reputation back in the day for like completely pilfering Baidu <laughs> of all of their technical talent around this area. Um, they are known for aggressively hiring、uh, and aggressively poaching staff from other companies.、Uh, right now, they're doing it from Facebook. If you go to Mountain View,、uh, the old WhatsApp offices are now TikTok offices, and a, a lot, a large proportion of the new ByteDance staff are old Facebook staff. I don't think the Silicon Valley companies are sort of like aware of how aggressive Chinese companies are around doing that.、Uh, I think there's been a little bit of surprise in the last, let's say, few quarters around what they've actually done there. The algorithms it learns what you want without you having to do anything. So people are everyone sort of commented about this. There's no social network behind it, right? So you don't need to add friends. You don't even need to follow accounts. You can just surface content. You don't even need to register an account, right? You can just download the app and start using it straight away. They create a shadow profile for you, and they can start you know tagging your shadow profile without even you telling them who you are、um, or, or giving them any kind of、uh, identifier there. It's a very 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 slick or well-oiled machine in terms of like the onboarding experience is super slick. Like I say, there's there's no friction there. You can just start using it, and it quickly starts learning and surfacing content that you you want to watch. And part of that is because due to the user experience, the way it works, every piece of content you must give them some indication of whether you like it or not. Even by doing nothing, that is a strong indicator that you actually like the content. Because if you didn't like the content, all you need to do is swipe up. Even the sort of indication of how much power you put into swiping up, right? Whether you swipe up slowly, or if it's a quick swipe, or whether it's a long swipe, all of that is actually very useful for them. They can analyze pretty much everything you do.、Uh, if you're searching the comments, likes,、uh, every, every every action you make is enriching your user profile. Every action you make is telling them more about you. And due to the the way that short video works, you know these are 15 second videos, 30 second videos. So within a 60-second period, you might be giving them four or five different pieces of information for them to know more about you. It is interesting. So I can tell you,、uh, without a doubt, from our side,、uh, you know, of the ocean, that we are definitely hearing a lot of rhetoric about the algos. It's all about the algorithms, and that this is what it is. So you're right that that's probably where a lot of attention, and maybe、uh, slightly too much、uh, attention, is being paid, or a lot of. Admiration of the accolades are being kind of thrown at、uh, the the algorithms, but I also hear that they employ more people dedicated to the algorithms,、um, almost as a percentage of staff, far more than anybody else. Do you do you think that that's true? I mean, I, I heard that they became、uh, number one in India, and when somebody was you know friendly and you know kind of an ex Spotify and Beijing guy who went back to see a bunch of friends and things and was asking them and they and they said there's not a single person here who speaks Hindi, yet we're number one in India. So, 
there has to be something to it. Well, yeah, the uh, experience, as we found, is, is, is a global, globally accessible experience. Um, they did a lot to localize the content in various markets, especially in the early days. And we cover that quite extensively in the book. We use Japan as a, as a really good example. Um, we talk a little bit about India. India is fascinating. Uh, I would love to look at that more, actually, because TikTok really did have a very deep impact on rural society um, acro- across India. But, you know, this wasn't obvious because actually um, in terms of localizing the content for various markets and whether it could be uh, uh, something that's accessible across the world, it wasn't that wasn't obvious actually in 2018. Yeah, when it when it had already become a, a breakout hit in China, but it seems to be that it is a, a, something that essentially it learns your preferences and surfaces content to you that based on those preferences, and and that that works no matter where you are in the world. Okay, everybody, that's the end of part one, our talk with Matthew Brennan, co-founder and managing director of China Channel and author of Attention Factory, the story of TikTok and China's ByteDance. I hope you stay tuned and join us next week for part two. Until then, have a great week. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.